Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. It's a weekly email, and it covers the most important shifts in the marketing technology industry. People who work in some of the world's largest media, tech, and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay, today I'm joined by Praveen Das. Now, Praveen is the co-founder and chief product officer at Factors AI. It's a B2B marketing attribution and analytics software company. Now, Praveen has a long history, uh, more than a decade of experience in the web analytics space, previously leading product at Inmobi, a mobile advertising company. So in this discussion, we talk about the hard problem of marketing attribution and the technology of it, including the increasing importance of machine learning and artificial intelligence in the marketing analytics stack, how technology companies are addressing the changing context of tracking privacy and data collection, and also the value of attribution software. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation because attribution is a big topic and it's also highly complex and very challenging as well. And so now I give you Praveen. Hi, Praveen. Hey, Yuan. Thanks, Yuan, for having me on the show and I'm excited to be here. So let's get into an introduction. I would love to know your story. And you've got a really deep history in marketing and advertising analytics. But what was that journey to founding Factors AI? I believe Factors actually was launched during the first wave of COVID-19 back in 2020. So it's still a fairly young company. It's a startup. But what was that journey, Praveen? And how did, you, how did that lead you into co-founding an AI-powered marketing attribution software company? Sure. So as you mentioned, I have spent close to seven years of my career as a, as a product leader at Inmobi. It's a mobile ad tech company along the lines of AdMob and, and others, right? I was primarily responsible for the data and analytics infrastructure, which powered the, the advertising engine, right? Uh, most of the use cases that I got exposed to at Inmobi were in the B2C space. So typically your app download sort of use cases, think of Uber, Candy Crush, or some of those apps, or the e-commerce space, which is, again, a sort of an immediate purchase sort of a experience is what we focused primarily on at Inmobi. Uh, at this time, I met my co-founders through like a chance encounter. And one of them uh, worked at Freshworks, which is a relatively large SaaS company based out of India. During this time, Freshworks was evaluating a bunch of solutions for their analytics and attribution of, of pipeline and revenue to, to, the, uh, to the marketing campaigns that they were running. So we ended up chatting quite a bit on, on how it worked on the B2C side and, and what were the kind of techniques that we were using. And I realized that the problem of analytics and attribution is far more complex and complicated in the B2B scenario than in a B2C scenario, right? And these are for well-documented reasons, such as multiple stakeholders involved in a B2B purchase over a really long time as compared to the more impulse-driven purchases on the B2C side. Now, with this context of how things happened on B2C, how it was very different in, in B2B, with my co-founders, we, we sat down and, and we were looking at these spaces, right? To say, in product analytics, you have 
very clear leaders in terms of amplitude, mixed panel, heap, you know, companies which have built very large businesses. In B2C marketing analytics and attribution, you had companies like AppsFlyer, Adjust, which were also scaling and, and doing quite well and were loved by their customers, right? And when we looked at B2B marketing, we couldn't come up with a single name, right? Which kind of was a very well-loved solution by, by customers. And that was a moment when we, we kind of decided to take the plunge and say, relatively large market, there doesn't seem to be a single player who seems to have built a, a, a well-loved solution. And, and that's what we are out here to do. As you said, we started in January 2020, like two months before COVID. And we currently work with almost 35 B2B SaaS companies. So that's the quick backstory of factors. Really interesting. Uh, I think that there's, I agree that if I rattle off in the back of my mind, the companies that are using, the B2B companies are using attribution software. Yeah, it's not, it's actually really challenging. And I think B2B marketing is um, particularly launching Factors AI at the start of COVID-19. It has had a massive impact on B2B marketing. There's been some fantastic research, particularly from uh, McKinsey that talks about how given that B2B marketing often is in person, it's a lot of sales interactions. It's a lot of sort of discussions that you go into an office or you go into a, a company to actually sell and to educate. A lot of that actually went away with COVID-19 because everybody was isolating and everybody was working remotely. And so all of these technology solutions sprang up around B2B alongside this concept of revenue operations as well to really help sort of bring sales and B2B marketing into this sort of internet age and the e-commerce age as well. And so I can kind of see how Vactors AI really took a hold that opportunity to really start building solutions in that B2B space. Now, before we get into the technology of marketing attribution, I want to start with a definition. Now, there are is a million and one ways to think about attribution. It's a very expansive topic, and it's also very divisive as well. If you get 10 marketers in a line and you ask them to define marketing attribution, all of them are going to give you a different definition, but all of them are going to argue about that definition as well. It's a very complex topic to unpack. Now, in our first conversation, when we sat down to talk about doing an episode on attribution, we started talking about definition. And one place we got to, which was actually quite good, was, was this. It said that attribution is piecing together a number of interactions, excuse me, and channels to determine what is impacting conversion and pipeline. Now, I like that because it picks apart a number of different elements, including the channel mix and the performance and the value each channel brings to marketing efforts, but also the customer journey and all of the various interactions a customer may um, have along a relationship with a, a company, whether that be purchasing for the first time, purchasing for the hundredth time, and all of those sort of lead negotiation sales pipeline as well. So to me, that's actually quite encapsulates it quite nice, nicely. But I want you to, Praveen, if you if you if you'd like to, to expand on that definition. At Factors AI, how do you think about marketing attribution? How do you define it for your customers? Yeah. So so. So typically when I'm, I'm speaking to uh, 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 customers in like one of the first calls, so uh, I, I feel that the word attribution in, in my personal view doesn't do justice to this field of analytics. Like in a literal sense, what attribution means is how do you allocate credit for a specific outcome, right? Like 
like uh, uh, you, you have a closed fund deal, how do you kind of allocate that credit amongst like, you know, the various campaigns or tactics that you're running, right? So it seems like a very retrospective, which is based on past data and also a very marketing team centric sort of activity rather than something which really has an impact on, on the business, right? In terms of moving that business forward, right? In, in most conversations, it comes out like marketing attribution is almost always only for the, for the marketing team. The reality I feel is that what a marketing team wants to do, as you said, is they are launching a lot of programs targeted at very specific stakeholders, right? Like so specific job titles within their ideal customer profile companies, right? So, so you have programs targeted at stakeholders for targeted at various industries, which are all in your ICP. And what a marketing team wants to know is what is working and what is not working, right? Which of these combinations of campaigns targeted at which stakeholders is working? Or alternatively, another way to frame this question is what should I do more of and what should I do less of, right? So it's essentially like an investment decision, which is a very forward-looking decision of saying, what should I now do like more of? And in a world where marketing is the primary non-linear driver of growth for any company, this is probably one of the most strategic decisions that you can make, right? So it is, it's less about how marketing measures itself, in my view, as much as how can marketing optimize its investments, its focus, so that it drives non-linear growth for the company in the coming time, right? So, so, so yeah, that's how I would kind of articulate attribution, less of retrospective data analysis on the past and more of forward-looking uh, uh, investment management to say, this is what uh, marketing will focus on because it seems to have the most non-linear impact on growth. One of the more important mental shifts in my career, uh, Praveen, has been this concept of the marketing manager being less about marketing and content and more about managing assets and particular investments. And if you think about marketing, a lot of it is in allocating budget to certain investments and, and expecting a short, medium, long-term outcome from those investments. It may be short-term investing in um, SEO, uh, SEM ads or, or Facebook ads to drive sort of near-term performance. But then you have investments like search engine optimization that often can take years to really drive traffic and to become a real asset for a business. And then you have things like media and content and then out, out, out of home as well. And you've got all of these different types of things that initiatives that marketers chase, but all of them have different time spans, which I think is really interesting. And so I really like what you said there, Praveen, about it's a lot of this is actually about what is driving the bottom line for the business and what is helping that business to grow, but also what is the future outlook? as well like uh, looking part looking at the past will never tell you what the future is and so i think there's a really interesting space around incrementality and how you think about the data that we have today and what does that what do we foresee which would be the outcomes if we continue to invest and there are a ton of different models there's mmm and there's all these various acronyms that talk about these 
ways in which uh, you can guide a company through how they allocate their media spend or how they allocate certain investments into channels. But I think I, I really like your simp simpler, simpler view on this, which is, yeah, what is that outlook and where should we be investing our resources into various marketing activities to help grow a business? And so that's really big and that's an expansive. But uh, one way I think, which I quite like, Factors AI talks about attribution is sort of in two ways, um, execution and strategic strategic. And now actually execution is very sort of more that sort of campaign based, what are we optimizing today? What can we sort of drive value out of what we're currently investing in? In strategic, and I think this touches onto what you're talking about, is more about that forward looking. You know, what is the, the channel mix that's driving value for us today? And what are the opportunities into the future? And so I would love for you to unpack, how do these two layers of attribution work between execution and strategic? How do they differ in terms of the kinds of data that you might need and what decisions do they influence and what does that look like from a business perspective? Sure. So I'll just go into these two levels of attribution and, and, and also add some color on, on, on why in some cases it may not be good to always refer back to like attribution analytics for some, some sort of tactics, right? So what, what I mean by sort of the strategic level of attribution analytics is at this level, you're you are largely trying to look at what is the impact of marketing overall on the business, right? So for example, some of the metrics that you want to kind of track at this level would be what's marketing sourced pipeline and, and revenue, right? So how much of the business comes through marketing control channels like uh, a website or, or marketing events where, where people kind of register and, and, and that's how they, they first got to know about you and, and then moved on to moved on into the sales funnel and, and became uh, you know a customer, right? So how much pipeline and revenue is marketing sourcing or marketing actively influencing? Is marketing engaging with the right accounts and the right stakeholders, right? Like how much of your marketing spend is delivered towards the, the, the set of companies that have been agreed to at, at an executive level to say, these are the kind of companies that we want to go after. And within those companies, these are the stakeholders that we want to reach out to. So is, is marketing engaging the, the right set of companies and stakeholders, right? And also kind of measuring how do metrics like our average contract value, sales cycle, et cetera, change when, when marketing is very actively engaging those accounts versus when it is not, right? So that gives you like a very good sense of saying, if there were like a set of accounts where marketing was not playing a very active role in moving them forward vis-a-vis -vis, there were a set of accounts where marketing did, you would be able to kind of look at the difference and say there is a very visible impact in terms of the way we are able to upsell the customer to like higher value plans or close the deal sooner than, than, than the customer already has engaged with your marketing efforts, right? So this is what I feel like you know, executives should talk about in terms of driving alignment across the go-to-market team between marketing, sales, and customer success. And think of marketing at a very strategic level, right? Now, when it comes to execution, I believe that is within the marketing team, right? So to drive this objective of engaging with the right stakeholders and the right accounts, ensuring that the engagement is sufficient so that they are already aware of, of your brand and, and hence are more receptive to like a sales conversation, a marketing team would be deploying multiple sort of programs, right? And these programs can range from, as you said, like search engine marketing to SEO, to content syndication, to events, to webinars. It could be organic LinkedIn posts uh, or, or anything of that nature, right? Now, 
at this level within the marketing team, uh, you now have to kind of look at how do you optimize the gamut of investments that you can make. Now, this is pretty straightforward for high-intent channels like review sites, Google Ads, etc., because people are coming in, clicking on an ad, and 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 probably kind of uh, you know in a very trackable way moving into your sales funnel. But what you should also be conscious about is all of those channels which are building your brand, like for example, more organic efforts, uh, like like as I said, LinkedIn marketing or even like podcasts, like the one that we are on right now. So those are the kind of things where you shouldn't really look at uh, how, like if they if they feel like they are the right thing to do, I think uh, one way to do this would be to say, if I have $100 to invest in marketing focus, maybe around $60 is invested in channels and tactics which deliver short-term results, right? And another $40 is invested in channels and tactics which build your brand over time. They may not be very trackable, but that's okay, right? Like you're not questioning those $40 on, impact on on pipeline and revenue but you're looking at them in terms of you know how much of that content went out into the market uh, how many sort of qualitative data points am i able to get to say that investment is working fine so this is how i'd say and that's where the real skill of a marketing team comes in to say how do you how do you balance this out how do you do short term investments to drive pipeline revenue as well as do long term investments which help you build the brand and set the company up for success let's say two or three years down the line, not for the next quarter. Yeah, I, there's a lot to unpack, I think, there. And it's, and it's really interesting because there's, there's the, as you say, there's a strategic organizational wide view on what's actually driving value, you know, and I think you, you touched on this concept of holdout groups or this uh, area in which you go, okay, well, the customers that are in a, in a process or they're in a sort of lead generation or gen- lead nurturing cycle, when there's marketing efforts applied to those customers, what does the outcome look like? And when there's no marketing efforts applied to those customers, what does that look like as well? And that to me is a very different question to how did that campaign perform? Because that question about value of marketing in the sum total of deals that are won or revenue or even things like customer churn and retention and loyalty, those are high level strategic questions that influence things like budget, uh, which influence how much income the marketing team is able to play with uh, when they're uh, when they're working through their strategies year to year or through every quarter. And so I think it's really interesting because attribution is so fundamental to those decision-making points around, well, what was the sum total impact of marketing? What does it look like when we don't do marketing? And what were those areas in which marketing really excelled in terms of driving whatever business goals that are in front of us. But yeah, to your point, execution is so much more different. It's, it's very optimization focused. It's very looking at, well, within the marketing team, where should we be spending both long-term and near-term and short-term activities? And I really like that analogy that you made around, if you've got a hundred dollars, where are you going to spend it? And I think that's a really wise decision because often I see, particularly in D2C and e-commerce businesses, a lot of marketers sort of spend a lot of money on performance marketing. So paid ads, very short, short-term life cycle, not a lot on building brand, a lot on sort of CRO without those sort of big brand building activities as well. So I think that whole picture, I think looking at combined both long, near and short-term, that whole picture, I think is still quite murky, which kind of brings us to 
um, now sort of shifting gears a little bit, the role of artificial intelligence in marketing attribution. So given that across all the hundreds of different channels marketers use every day and all those different types of initiatives, long-term brand building, but also short-term performance gain making, there's this element of AI, which I think is sort of helping marketers work through the value of those channels as they're placed within various strategies. But I would love for you to give our audience a bit of an overview on what are the advantages and disadvantages of applying artificial intelligence to marketing data? And how does factors think about that? I mean, it's very challenging and I think very opaque when you start talking about, okay, artificial intelligence does certain things to marketing data, but what do they actually do? So what are your thoughts? What are the advantages and disadvantages of applying AI to marketing attribution and analytics? Yeah, sure. So let me just kind of lay out like artificial intelligence as a broad term, right? So in general, when we think of applying artificial intelligence to B2B context, I recently come across this interesting podcast by the CEO of People.ai. So I, I, I kind of borrow some of his words because I think he articulated it very well, where he talks about two modes of AI, right? One is autopilot and the other is co-pilot, right? Autopilot is where an AI system fully automates a specific task, and co-pilot is where an AI system works with a human being, right, to generate superior outcomes than if just that human being was, was working on that system, right? Now, if I draw parallels to this in the world of marketing, right, the autopilot sort of a mode would be, for example, how do you actually collect and clean all of the data that is there, which is, which is in very disparate systems, right? So how do you actually collect high value sort of signals from the website in terms of what are, what are people interacting with without you having to sit and configure every single button and every single interaction? Or how do you actually stitch together contacts from Salesforce with uh, outreach or in Marketo if there is no sort of direct mapping possible, right? So you still need like some system to kind of do that automatically, right? Or something as simple as how do you identify that Praveen at factors.ai uh, is part of this company called factors.ai, right? So there are a lot of these very, what do you say, mundane tasks around data cleansing, data stitching, ensuring that the data is clean so that anything that you build on top of that in terms of analytics and recommendation is, is of high value. Uh, so that's where I'd say an autopilot sort of a system kind of comes in. The co-pilot mode in which AI can work is more interesting where, as we had discussed earlier, right, a marketer is looking at different channels, tactics, and initiatives and their objective is to try and engage a certain set of stakeholders in their ICP companies, right? And they might be serving multiple industries like, let's say, fintech, e-commerce, and, and so on and so forth. And what they really want to know is what tactics are working for which audience, right? So imagine that an automated system would be able to come up with recommendations such as you know, VP of engineering in 11 to 25 million revenue company is more interested in case study type of content, right? And that comes to a marketer without them having to do any kind of analysis, right? And as compared to that, let's say the directors of product in the same company are more interested in the ROI calculators that you've published. So, so what is that sort of content that each of these stakeholders are more interested in, right? Or it could be like another use case saying, over time, the efficiency of this particular tactic has dropped quite a bit and then alert a marketer saying, hey, you would need to kind of look into this because this metric is, is dropping quite a bit. You've built a lot of assumptions based on the fact that 
your conversion rates from a specific channel would be X percentage, but it's now only half of that, right? So you have to now revalidate all of this assumption, right? So, so those, so a, a co-pilot mode, an automated system can look at all of this data and then find patterns from this data without you having to kind of do very elaborate sort of analysis. And I believe we have reached a point where you can automate a lot of this analysis, right? In terms of advantages, obviously it frees up people to do much more sort of enriching work for themselves. It leads to your teams being happier, more energetic and more productive, right? Because they're not wasting time in running like hundreds of analysis on Excel sheets to, to get answers to questions like this. The disadvantage I'd say is that any AI system is heavily influenced by the quality of data that it has access to, right? As we know, most sort of uh, CRMs, marketing automations, you know, there's there's a lot of room in terms of how, how much better it can get. So it's important to build like error tolerant systems, which can find insights, assuming that the data is going to be slightly noisy, rather than operating with a presumption that the data is going to be like crystal clean, right? Also, it is again important, hence to to operate in a context where the marketer gets recommendations uh, and then decides to kind of act or not act on something because as I mentioned, the underlying data may be slightly noisy. Marketing is still a very creative sort of profession, right? So it's not, I, I don't think it can be fully automated to that extent. So a, a system where, a model where there is an automated system which takes away all of the grunt work in data stitching, in identifying patterns and then coming up with recommendations for a marketer to act on is, is, I believe, the right balance in terms of applying AI in attribution. It's fascinating to me how there is just such a widespread of use cases for artificial artificial intelligence and attribution already. Like even as you mentioned, there's an autopilot and there's a co-pilot. I mean, two very, very different applications. But one thing I think which is interesting, and you touched on this just now about disadvantages, is the quality of the data that's being fed into the system. Of course, that's really important. So bad data in, bad data out, and then you get bad outcomes if you don't have clean veracity, high veracity data. But on the other side, and something that I've come across quite a bit, Praveen, with even the companies I work with, is we lack knowledge of the decision-making behind these AI systems. So to give you an example, there's uh, one company, marketing automation platform that uses machine learning for product recommendations. Now, all the marketer needs to do is to feed in a product catalog. So the product images, the price and the categories and any sort of metadata. Now that's fed into this marketing automation platform. But all they need to do once they set up their data is just to include a module at the bottom of an email and it automatically recommends products to customers based on what their customers browsed, what's what they've purchased in the past, and you know, 30 other data points and variables. Now, the challenge strategically when it comes to having a decisioning engine like that running in the background is that you don't actually know the, the decisions that are, that are influencing those recommendations. And so it becomes very hard to look at, well, we've got analytics and I'm sure that the AI system's improving and training on the outcomes of that data, but it's a bit of a black box. Um, it's very hard to know those decisions. And I touched on this in a recent MarTech Weekly newsletter where uh, I was talking about how 
marketers need to have a feeling of control over their uh, their marketing, their spend, their channels, their content as well, because increasingly a lot of these AI tools are, are making it, they're actually fragmenting the responsibilities of a marketer. So to use that example of the marketing automation platform that's using AI for product recommendations, now that's taking away to some degree how much a market is influencing the products they're putting in front of their customers. So that's an autopilot example that you mentioned. But what I actually think is that's to me, that's perhaps not so much a disadvantage, but more of a existential problem on how much control should a marketer cede to an artificially intelligent program. But I think the co-pilot concept makes a ton more sense to me because it's actually really enhancing and making the whole process of analytics and analysis and insight much more faster and more powerful as well. Yeah. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I, I completely agree that I don't think it is practical to automate all of marketing in terms of like what campaigns to choose and let's completely take away the human element from marketing, irrespective of how much of our data we have, right? Let's say we have we are able to kind of tap into every single interaction, uh, every single sort of decision point that a prospect goes through. And I'm still of the view that it's it's not going to be possible to fully automate like a marketer's thought process purely through through data analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Right now, I believe that. Uh, automation starts from the least risky and the most predictable parts of your stack. Like, for example, I mentioned data stitching, mapping entities across your systems, bringing all of that together. Maybe some sort of simple sort of automations along the lines of how do you bid on your Google Ads account, right? So something as simple as this campaign is not working well, so let me automatically kind of reduce the bid or something like that, right? Even within, let's say, for example, Google Ads, mostly people have automated how much to bid and and less about what's the message that goes out, right? Like the message that goes out is still curated by 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 marketers as to, to the to the best that I know right now, right? So so I believe the least risky, most predictable sort of parts where you know that full automation is is sort of is going to relieve marketers and and save them a lot of time to to kind of focus on the more creative aspects is where the autopilot mode has maximum value. In most other High impact decisions, I, I still believe the co-pilot mode is, is what's going to work best, where a marketer gets recommendations, a system looks at all possible combinations of data, comes back with a set of recommendations, and a marketer uses his creative judgment, his own experience of how things have worked out in other companies that he has worked at, and, and, and the entire sort of knowledge that he brings to the table to kind of make a decision, right? And that those decisions may work, may not work. Obviously, that's part of any sort of endeavor, but that's where the creative input from a marketer comes in. Referring to the black box systems that, that you mentioned, so so I again, I, I agree that there are a bunch of systems which fully automate and they are sort of black boxish. And this could be anything from product recommendations to identifying that one company is in market for your product and, and kind of nudging the sales team to kind of reach out to that company, right? So in these cases, what I think marketers should insist on there's a level of transparency from these solutions to say, hey, why are you recommending this? Like, what's the basis, right? So that at least once in a while, even if it's a black box system, which automates the whole thing, they can sort of get an inside view of why does the system recommend a particular product or a particular action as compared to another system? And maybe that will help them 
understand that okay maybe my my input data is not not very accurate maybe the product catalog that i had sent across had some errors and that's why this happened right or or alternatively that there were some hidden trends which which they can now amplify based on the fact that the system is able to identify those hidden trends which were not obvious to like a human being so for any system which is operating like a black box i believe we should kind of insist on some level of transparency to say why did you make that decision right so that over time our understanding of these systems improve a lot hmm. yeah because i guess at a, at a fundamental level each machine learning program has a number of biases that are factored in purely because humans are creating them <laughs> and they're designing the tool and the parameters and the boundaries of these as you say these very sort of various black box black box systems but i think that's the sort of natural trade-off between building and buying marketing technology tools often is the case is that you know to stand up an ai team within any company is a massive undertaking you need specialist skills you need to recruit a team you need the right data you need systems you need platforms and that is a big outlay and investment for something that a lot of companies are still unsure about the role of AI in their own business. Now it's growing and the industry's changing, but it's taking a while. Um, it's not happening overnight. And so I think a lot of these sort of um, automated tools or the tools that build their, whether it's a Merkle tree or a, a, another sort of subset of AI machine learning, you know, they've got all these various tools that they offer to marketers and it's kind of off the shelf. But the trade-off is that you don't necessarily know the biases or the factors that are going into those, those systems. And so I often say with these types of tools is that it's a great way to validate the role of AI in your business, but it's perhaps not um, the long-term solution that uh, marketers should be pursuing uh, when it comes to these um, various tools as well. I mean, there's only so far you can go with a solution that's been pre-built for you and it's not specific to your business or you to your customers. It's scaled across many other companies as well. I mean, Amazon SageMaker is a fantastic example of that. You can go in, yeah, I think for, even for free now, with Amazon SageMaker, you can go in and start building AI applications based off the training data that has been fed over millions and millions of e-commerce purchases on amazon.com. Now, great, fantastic tools, and we've got those at our fingertips, but the trade-off is that it's not specific to my use case entirely, and we don't have full knowledge over what the decisions are being made. And so it goes back to risk and reward, and what's that tolerance? I mean, I know some marketers that they take a lot of risks and they are happy to gamble a lot of budget on certain things. And AI is one of them. But I know a lot of marketers that are very risk adverse as well. And they would be very reserved around handing over some decision making across their what they're doing with their channels, what they're doing with their spend, purely because of the, how they think about the risk and tolerance to risk and how much they want to expose themselves as well. So I think it's fascinating. I think there's a lot to unpack there. But I do yeah, want to... Yeah, I mean, one thing yeah. I... Sorry, one thing I'd add add here is to what you said, right? Like it's it's there is for every business there are there are nuances which are very specific to that business, right? Like no, even within like an industry like SaaS, there are so many sort of variants, right? So you're doing enterprise SaaS, you're doing which is like a 300k product which you sell over like 15 months, or you're doing like a PLG sort of sales motion where yeah, each seat costs like ten dollars, or you have something in between where you're selling a product which costs like. 12 to 24,000 or $36,000, right? So again, their use cases are obviously going to be nuanced and different. What I have, when I work with clients as well, what I, what I have focused on is to say, despite the fact that each of these businesses are different, there are some commonalities, right? So there are some aspects which are common. 
which could be opportunity management in Salesforce, the lead flow, your channels, et cetera, right? Now, I believe a third-party external solution would, would, be, would be able to best serve your common use cases across companies because it will never be hyper-personalized for any specific sort of company, right? And specific use cases for like, like one company, which only is like a nuance that applies to them, I believe it's best served through building it in-house. But all the use cases which are sort of common across companies, I think that is where third-party SaaS solutions can come in and have an advantage purely because they work with, let's say, over 40, 50 customers or hundreds of customers. And hence, they've come up with a lot more use cases. And there is a learning curve that goes into building that product, which if if every single company had to kind of build that in-house, that would be quite infeasible, right? But to what you said, I completely agree that for all the nuanced use cases, which are very specific to certain industries or certain companies, finding an out-of-the-box solution which serves that very well is probably going to be hard. Mm. And that, I think that might be the hard problem of artificial intelligence is what is the industry standard type use cases and what are the ones that are more bespoke or specific to a, to a company. But I think, you know, we are still so early in artificial intelligence. I mean, the applications are starting to roll out and it's been, you know, what, maybe 10, 20 years since this journey began on artificially, artificial intelligence applied to business practices. But I would say it's still very early. I think there's a lot to work through in terms of ethics, in terms of freedom, in terms of choice as well, and accountability. I mean, you know, I can already see it happening where marketers turn around in the boardroom and say, well, hey, look, you know, we lost $100,000 in revenue because of this decision and ad spend. And they turn around and they point to the AI system and go, oh, they, the, you know, the artificial intelligent attribution system told us to do that, you know, and I, I would say that, you know, it's, it's really interesting because it, it sort of raises questions about accountability in marketing and okay, I'm sure we're responsible for the implementation of this technology and the usage of it. But at the end of the day, if it is complete black box, it's not co-pilot. It's not, there's not a human judgment element in the, the sort of the decisioning around certain things. Then who do you blame? It's kind of like the same idea with Tesla. You know, Tesla has self-driving or FSD as it's called. And sometimes the Tesla gets in a car accident and people get hurt and sometimes people die. Now, who do you blame? Do you blame the driver or do you blame the AI system that's running that the autonomous car? I mean, again, it's a very complex, highly nuanced space that I think we're just starting to have a discussion on the role of accountability and, and AI. But it's fascinating. I think it's absolutely fascinating. But let's move on into a bit broader perspective on the changing landscape of the industry. So we are obviously are in a very interesting time in terms of the data that marketers can collect and use. We have the deprecation of the third-party cookie across all major browsers, including Google, and that's rolling out over the next few years. We have things like greater regulation at a country and a state level. And so we have in the US, we, we have things like CCPA in California. In Europe, we have the GDPR, and there's been a very tumultuous change in terms of tracking preferences and cookie consent and all of those things down here in Australia, we have government regulation coming in in terms of privacy as well. So there's a lot of change in terms of marketing analytics 
data collection and tracking. But then we also have the bigger players like Apple and Google, the gatekeepers of so much of web traffic, limiting how much marketers can collect as well. One great example is Apple's app tracking transparency and giving users more optionality around what is being tracked from their device when they're using various apps. Now, all of that to say, I think the big picture is that the pool of available data for marketers you use, it's not growing, it's actually shrinking. And what that means is that there's a growing need to get more value out of the data marketers can collect so they can do things like reporting and attribution, but also targeting and segmentation. I mean, in the digital advertising ecosystem, there is a just a massive amount of change happening. All these different cookie solutions coming into market like UID5, sorry, UID 2.0 and ID5. There's also concepts like contextual advertising, which doesn't rely on cookies or micro-targeting. So with all of that to say, I would say that there's a growing need for AI tools in the space, but what are you seeing in terms of your customers and sitting out talking with them in terms of why they're pursuing something like a factors AI solution for their marketing attribution? Like what are they saying is that is a need that they're responding to when it comes to applying AI to their data? Yeah. So yeah, on the changing landscape of uh, privacy, right? So, so I believe we were earlier in like sort of a wild, wild west in terms of privacy, purely because again, it was, it was very new, right? Like all of internet is like hardly 20, 25 years into its existence. And now I think it's moving to a more balanced approach where the end users' interests are protected while, while businesses are allowed to sort of operate as well. So I personally am for oversight and regulation as otherwise almost always the end user rights get sort of compromised, right? So I believe that what the future will entail is the data will get more, the data that you can track, collect, will get more noisy. It will not be the what, what the current edifice that you have of crystal clear, clean tracking of cookies and uh, all of that infrastructure that has been built out over the last sort of 15, 20 years. I think that will... Uh, over time ha- have to be revamped, right? Obviously, for most of the customers that we work with, obviously the primary sort of issue is like the third-party cookies going away. But even on the first-party cookies, there are restrictions that app- Apple is imposing. The latest sort of Firefox browser has imposed restrictions or, or allows the user to opt into a mode where your entire URL uh, parameters are, are cleaned out. So you cannot really identify where a user is coming from, et cetera, right? So what would, in my view, what would eventually happen is we will end up at a place where it is more balanced. Companies will have to give up some of the sort of data access that they had in the past uh, and by its users more voluntarily uh, or are more comfortable with what level of access they're giving to to companies whose websites they're visiting, right? Now, what would hence, what would this hence mean is the data will be slightly more noisy. You would hence need to find directional patterns right, with which you can, you can work, you can make decisions rather than being completely blind, right? So, so there are definitely challenges and headwinds in terms of piecing together that customer journey, but rather than hence assuming that there is nothing that can be done, what, what would emerge in my view is a system which comes up with directional patterns that, that, that are not exact, but sort of probabilistic based on the underlying data. And these directional patterns uh, along the lines of econometric models like marketing mix modeling, or there could be other models that come out like maybe a sample of customers would be willing to kind of share all of their data 
in return for some benefits that they get, which has always been predominant on TV, right? So all of TV advertising measurement is based on a pool of customers who voluntarily sort of uh, subscribe to like a program for, for some benefits, right? So the industry would evolve. I don't believe this is the first sort of time this has happened, or this is the first instance where the data is becoming slightly harder to kind of piece together. But what is definitely for, for sure is that analytics techniques that have been built up over the last 15 years, this is, this is clearly an inflection point. And what has worked for us in the past may not work for us in the future in terms of making sense of all of this data. And in our conversations, that, that really comes up. And, and I would say it doesn't come up in terms of current sort of product features, but in terms of our roadmap, our direction, and in terms of thought process, this is something which almost every customer asks us, right? Saying in another 12, 18 months, once either Chrome and, and other browsers impose more restrictions, how, how do you see your product kind of evolving? Right. And we have a certain sort of uh, approach to this, which we have communicated to them as well. And that's definitely something which is a, a buying criteria today to say solutions which can work with this whole changing landscape of the underlying data being noisy definitely have an edge. Yeah, I think it's, there's so much. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of feel for marketers <laughs> from time <laughs> to time because there's so many considerations and it's changing almost daily at the moment terms of the, the privacy landscape, but I could see that marketers want, obviously, obviously they want to grow their business, but they also want to have certainty as well. So I can see how AI is one tool in that toolkit to bring about greater certainty or to bring about clarity over complex data sets and complex interactions as well. So I think it's a very interesting time to be a marketer, but I want to go deeper into factors AI and the tools and the setup because as I mentioned at the top of this conversation, it's still quite opaque, a lot of these concepts. I mean, if you talk to a market about using AI and analytics, how do you actually explain that? It's very complex and it's very challenging to actually get to something concrete. So I'd love for you to take us on a bit of a journey and, and talk to us about what does it actually look like to implement and set up an AI tool in a marketing analytics stack? What does it do yeah. in terms of reporting, data standardization, and how you actually get to a point where you're interpreting reporting as well? What are those steps and, and what does that look like for your customers? Yeah, so I understand what you're saying to say like AI in marketing can be so broad, right? So again, just to kind of give some context, right? So typically the AI solutions in analytics, they broadly fall under two categories. So that, that's the way I look at it at least. One is horizontal products, which work across functions, across companies. So they take one use case, which is common across companies and, and they try to apply artificial intelligence to solve that problem, right? And a typical example for this is something like anomaly detection, right? So if you have a metric and it's like a trending metric over time, and that metric can be anything, it can be spend, it can be leads, it can be website visitors, but you can have like an anomaly detection solution which can identify whenever there are anomalies, right? And there are a bunch of companies which, which solve these horizontal problems across, across industries and verticals. Now, Factors, on the other hand, is a very verticalized solution. So we are built for marketers and more specifically B2B marketers, right? So we only focus on B2B marketing as a segment and our product is most applicable for companies where marketing-driven sort of re revenue and pipeline is a significant percentage, right? So you could think of them as like the earlier world of inbound, right? So there's a lot of marketing activity, which, which kind of drives prospects to come to you and say, hey, I'm interested in your product, right? 
So that's the segment for which our product is best suited. Now, what that also means is our product is highly customized for them. It automatically understands uh, a lot of the uh, context in which these marketers operate. Our product doesn't work very well for, let's say, e-commerce or, or any other industry. In terms of implementing a solution like Factors, so most of the solutions have out-of-the-box integrations with, with the rest of your stack. So what we do is we connect with all your ad platforms such as your Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Bing, and then you can integrate us into the website through like a very simple JavaScript SDK, which you can add through Google Tag Manager. And likewise, we have API-based integrations into Salesforce, Marketo, HubSpot, and, and the rest of the systems that you work with, right? So the actual process of integration is, is, is probably not like, I'd say, very, very complex. But the problem that happens is just, just kind of having like a very methodical sort of checklist of ensuring that all of these steps are done well, right? So as you said, the AI solution is only as good as the data that is fed into it, right? So, so you got to kind of ensure that the website where the, where the SDK is instrumented, it's kind of done properly. It's on the head of the page and there's no blocking calls, et cetera, so that we are able to capture as much of the website activity as is possible, right? And there are a lot of nuances, like for example, what kind of forms do you use on the website? Are you using a native HubSpot or Marketo form? Or are you using a third-party solution which makes it hard to track? Or are you, are you using a custom-built JavaScript form which you, have, which you have built yourself, which again might kind of disrupt the whole, whole flow, right? So essentially, the effort of integration is not very high, but validating that the data is kind of flowing through properly is, is like a time-consuming sort of process, right? Like even yesterday, I was on a call with one of our, one of my clients where they wanted to kind of analyze, you know, they have a bunch of videos on their website and what they wanted to kind of look at is what's the impact of people watching that video on them then signing up or, or scheduling a demo with an expert and so on, right? And what we realized is that the solution that they were using for a video player doesn't allow us to kind of easily instrument these events, right? So there are a lot of dependencies in terms of how the website has been built, how your Marketo instance is configured or how your Salesforce instance is configured, right? So for example, one of the typical things in Salesforce is you can either have just the contact object to capture all your uh, user information, or you can split it between the lead object and the contact object. And that again is like a sort, sort of nuance which, which need to be handled in terms of how do you actually bring all of this data. So to, to, to come back to what you asked, the integration is pretty simple, but there is a lot of configuration that we allow for in our product, almost all, all of it through like our UI, where you have to kind of set up the product to work well for your use cases, right? So depending on how you have set up the business, how you have set up your Salesforce instance, Marketo instance, how the website is configured, you got to give us all of that information and do like a thorough audit of this end-to-end. -end. So what we do is we have a very rigorous four-week sort of exercise where we have a customer success person and we have like a checklist through which we go through. And at the end of 28 days, we'd be able to kind of say, hey, the product is now well set up. Uh, for you, the data that is being captured, both of us agree that it is accurate and it is consistent with, with what you have in your CRM. And hence, you can trust the data, right? Now, getting to that point is hard. And the issue is not really, is it is it easy to integrate? It is all of those other small, small things which kind of come into way, right? So that is what we try to get to as a first milestone in a four-week time window to say, I can trust the data that I'm seeing. The numbers are consistent. I can see that everything is being 
correctly input into the system. And now I think we can go forward and start using the automated analysis functionalities. Now, in terms of the AI-based analysis, so we offer two main sort of functionalities over there. So one is what we call, if your metrics change, like for example, if any of your metrics spend leads, anything changes, we'll automatically analyze why it has changed and then alert that to you through Slack or email saying that, hey, I can see that this metric has dropped. Let's say, for example, leads have dropped from 750 last week to 500 this week. And the, the majority of the drop has happened from, let's say, Germany as a country, right? So, so you can kind of automatically analyze your key metrics and explain as to how they have changed and what has caused the change, right? The second place where we apply AI is in the customer journey analysis piece. So what, what you can do as a marketer is you can come into our system and say, I want to take more of my users who are currently at the demo is done stage to them signing up for the product or becoming like an opportunity, right? Now, in between these two discrete points in the customer journey, what are the tactics and channels that have worked best for me based on past data, right? So the way I think about it is, it is almost like Google Maps. You give a starting destination to it and you give an ending destination to the product. And then looking at all of the historical data, we'd be able to kind of say, these are the tactics or the combination of tactics that has worked best for you in the past, right? And once you get those recommendations, you can then kind of focus on executing on those recommendations based on how you find them to be valid and, and relevant. Right. So these are the two ways that uh, we power sort of AI based analysis on the underlying data. But the prerequisite to this is getting to that point where both the customer and us agree that the, the data is clean and, and correctly kind of coming through. Yeah, I think that's really helpful because there's a lot there in terms of actually implementing and setting up the the tool the tooling so that you've got that correct data that's coming through. But also, it's also deeply strategic asking the question, well, what do you want to measure? To your example about a measuring the duration of a video view and how that correlates to a customer purchasing or signing up. I mean, that's a strategic question. It's not a technology question. And I, I would assume that with Factors AI, there's a lot of those kinds of conversations about, well, exactly what do you want to measure and why? And what is the best practice around measurement? And I, I've been in the room where a lot of marketers try to measure things that don't really matter um, or it's, it becomes too superfluous or it just becomes very, very complex and this is tracking everything when you don't really need to track everything. So I think there's that sort of deeply strategic question, but also that implementation setting up your data so you've got high quality data that's clean that's going into the system but then yeah the true layers of that is well what is the things that are correlating to a customer going through a journey and how can we make that journey easier for the customer to, to lead to those goals but also to your example about germany i mean customers that are not purchasing or leads that are coming through germany well it seems to me like AI plays a really interesting role in drawing up those correlations on exactly what has been the changes to either marketing spend or campaigns or content, or even perhaps even cadence of communications as well, that has led to the decrease of customers that are in Germany that have not signed up for um, a program. And so I think that is very interesting. I think it takes I mean, I, I look at it and I'm like, well, yeah, if I've got five different channels, I've got web behavior, I've got email, I've got paid advertising as well. I've got five or six different channels. That's five or six different spreadsheets. 
I mean, joining all of that together is difficult enough. So I think that's really interesting in terms of analytics and then drawing inferences from specific events that happen within the context of a marketing campaign or even a customer journey. So fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. But Praveen, we actually are out of time. So I would love for you to throw to us where we can find you on the internet. Where can we find factors, but also how can we connect with you as well? Sure. So uh, I'm mostly active on on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn as as uh, you know uh, Praveen does. That's that's my profile. Uh, with with respect to factors, uh, uh, we are at uh, www.factors.ai. And again, I, I'm almost available on the other side of the chatbot on on factors. So even if you were to kind of drop a chat over there, uh, that's another way that we could connect as well. Uh, I'm also you could also reach me at Praveen at factors.ai. That's my email ID. And uh, uh, look forward to staying in this, staying connected with this community. And and uh, thanks a lot, Yuan, uh, again for this opportunity. No, thank you, Praveen. And uh, every week we're interviewing people who are featured in the Martech Weekly newsletter. People like Praveen who are at the forefront of marketing analytics and AI, who are growing startups rapidly in the space and so we delve into topics that subscribers care about so if you'd like to read and subscribe you can head to themartechweekly.com thanks for joining us praveen thanks everyone thanks you once again for this opportunity and look forward to staying in touch